Hey everyone, you are listening to Kesara Sara with me, Sarah Ann Lalonde. I am a teacher candidate studying at the University of Ottawa, sharing my journey into education with the world. Enjoy this episode. Tonight on the podcast, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Helen DeWard, who is a professor at the Faculty of Education at Lakehead University in Aurelia. And so, Helen, first of all, I'd like to point out that one very small Twitter direct message can go a long way. What do you think about that statement? <laughs> I, I will actually have to concur with that. Um, yes, I figured. I, I figure with, uh, with direct message in Twitter, you can do amazing things. Mm-hmm. The power of Twitter. I always say that, you know, like tonight, my, my podcast is, is sponsored by Twitter because they initiated this conversation and that's where it all started. So first of all, thank you to Twitter. Second of all, I felt very connected with you recently. Uh, we've exchanged lots of emails and tweets and and thinking about this podcast and, and coming to, to prepare for this conversation. Um, I, I don't know much about you as an educator. I know that you do some really amazing things as a professor at the Faculty of Ed. And um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background as an educator? Because I'm really excited to learn more about you. Okay. Well, first of all, I'll have to I'll have to <laughs> clarify. I am not a professor. I am oh. I am one one of the the um, contract lecturers that are hired on a year over year basis within the faculty. Um, I I come with a certain skill set. I come with uh, a certain set of qualifications and and fluencies, obviously, in order to teach what I teach. But in order to become a professor, you mm-hmm. you do need to have um, you need to have have that track within the university structure. And my background is elementary education. I was a, a kindergarten ah. up to grade six teacher, taught grade eight girls phys ed when it was was a, a split class. So my background um, is in K to twelve and. Probably about six years ago, I stepped out of that, and I stepped within within a week, stepped into the university structure, and the learning curve was huge because what I thought I knew about wow. universities, I I knew nothing, and I um, as a, a contract lecturer, contract instructor, there was a lot to learn. There still is, um, but um, I enjoy the work. the The teacher candidates, I think. Um, come with a, a, a fresh new approach, a willingness to learn. Um, the students that I teach, for, for the most part, are eager to try new things. Some of them are a little um, uh, cautiously, um, they step into different spaces that I challenge them to venture into. I teach media and digital mm-hmm. literacies. Um, I teach both in a face-to-face context and in an, an online context. Of course, one the critical digital literacy course is an online course. Uh, both of the courses are are elective style courses, so students have choices whether they enter. It's not one of the um, core required courses in the faculty. 
And the media. Oh, that's fine. The media okay. course is the one that's been going the longest. I've co-taught that course with a number of different people, um, and each one of them challenges me to teach better, to teach differently, to to try new things as well. So it's nice to have colleagues that uh, you can co-teach um, course content with. So. Those are the fun things with uh, university structures that a lot of teacher candidates don't really know about. Um, I get emails to Professor DeWard and I have to kind of chuckle and then uh, <laughs> sort of set them straight in a, right. in a nice way. Uh, yeah, no, I don't know. I just assume, I guess I was just assuming all of my teachers or professors. So do they call you, you're just, are you, they, you're just a teacher, not they, just a teacher. That's, I, I don't want to say that, but. Um, they call me, for the most part, they call me by my first name. Um, it, yeah. Yeah. And um, the. Um, I feel like it's a lot more approachable. Yeah. And the relationship that I really would like to have with the students is one where they can approach me if if there is an issue or if there's a problem or if there's a you know a puzzle or you know a burning question in the content that they don't understand mm -hmm. the the first name basis yeah tends to be a, a little less formal yes i can also concur with that because i feel like i've had way better relationships and connections with my professors who were more relaxed in their teaching and were a lot more open and was like, you know, even if they did have a, a PhD and they were doctor so-and-so, if I could just call them by their first name, it was like, they were less far away from me, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. That, that feeling that of, di sense. of distance. Yeah. And, and it goes to that, that whole power mm -hmm. dynamic that we, uh, you know, we, we as teachers, it's really difficult. And you must have must have found that even in your placements, um, where the power dynamic between a teacher and educator and the, their students, um, it, you know, the teacher is the the authority and the one who knows everything. But uh, in our case, in my case, um, I see myself as a co learner with the students. Mm -hmm. There's obviously that. expertise expertise and fluencies and, and abilities that I bring. Um, I have a strong research background that I bring to the courses that I teach. Um, I have a master's in educational technology from University of British Columbia. I have a master's from um, OISE U of T. So I'm a, 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 a double learner in many wow. ways. So I... Um, it, it doesn't doesn't really ever stop it as a teacher, but uh, that's that's something else. <laughs> so, just to get back to the point, co-learning with my students is really important, and problem solving um, is really important. So, a lot of the teaching that I do in the media and digital literacies course is a lot of um, say play and inquiry. So I give students time to play with some of the technologies um, in a safe space, um, in a supported in digital environment. For example, the, the online course that I'm teaching right now, um, learning management system is the core starting point for that course. The... Uh, the, cor the course that the students see in the learning management system is mirrored on a course website. So the content is mostly similar, mm -hmm. 
but the, the course website has additional information resources, um, applications, and ideas that are there for them once they leave the course. So it's, it's there and they can use it when they go into the profession for example. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so wonderful. And I have to tip my hat off because I did go through um, your media and digital literacy website and I was so impressed. And I, you know, even though I am a fac of ed student at the University of Ottawa, I was like, wow, this is a resource that I want to have in my back pocket. So I love that it's open, not for just your students. And it's there for you in your back pocket. And, Mm -hmm. uh, not that you'll fi- necessarily find it to be the best source, but it's probably a good starting point because it is uh, a starting point for my students. Um, yeah. So, so one thing, um, I feel like it was only fair to have you on the podcast so that you could model this this risk taking for your students in your media and digital literacies class that um, could potentially come on my podcast and showing you know you're showing them that I'm not a scary person to talk to and that <laughs> we're just going to have a an easygoing conversation. So um, one thing that I wanted to ask you about that class that you're teaching is uh, and you have already touched upon it, I think it's so funny, um, is what does your typical, what does a typical day in your class look like? Like, I know that you were talking about how it's split in two and that they have tech time and like, what, what is the importance of that tech time? Like, why do you do that? Um, the classes that I teach, and literally I teach from the website. So everything you see on the website, um, that's, not everything you see on the website we cover in class, but the website becomes the springboard for the conversations we'll have. Um, and within the website, I'll embed things like Padlet, Answer Garden, Today's Meet, um, uh, Google, mm. Google Slides, for example. All really great tools. Um, yeah. We do um, a shared document um gatherings as part of group work, for example. The uh, one activity we did in the fall is called The Most Important Book. And we, we I read the, uh, the story, Most Important Book, to them. And then they have to do dip into and dig into some articles about um, digital literacy and um, media literacy. And then they have to make a page in the Google Slide Book as part of the activity in class about what they think is the most important thing about the topic so there's it's 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 modeling an accountable learning type of a process where you're engaging whole group small group individual back to whole group Um, it's invitational to participate some to try something in a like you said google slides is a fairly safe learning tool most a lot of teachers um, that i teach will be using google suite of tools g suite of tools when they go out into placements and into their their practicums so i wanted to expose them in safe ways to some of the tools and um, we have a we have a google classroom that that we've sort of been playing in it's like a sandbox space that we we go dip in and out of um yeah so it's a way of all of this sounds so wonderful (laughs) i just have to like chime in here because 
You know, I think about if I, you know, I keep thinking about if I was were a student in your classroom and how much I would be gaining not only content based, but I feel as though just giving the students the opportunity to go and open a Padlet, to go and play with today's meet or be a student in a Google classroom, like using all of those tools at the faculty of education is something that I have not had the chance of doing that I've learned myself through Google summits or different conferences. Um, And I think that it's so uh, like they're at such an advantage. They might not even know how lucky they are that you are introducing them to these tools. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and a number of them have have said at the at the culmination of the course, they they look back over the course content and they realize what they've learned. Um, so yeah, the mm-hmm. ultimate goal really is f- to not to go no extremely deeply into say one specific tool, because I know they, no, they, no, they no. it's the 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 skill of being able to go into a new digital tool or use a new digital resource and be able to a break the code to that to make sense of it make meaning of it to be able to you analyze it use it create with it and ultimately then if it will add to their professional digital persona. So those are the five critical digital literacies that I focus on um, in the one co- the online course that I teach that I want them to leave with um, as you say, in the back pocket as a um, kind of a fallback. So if a new tool, you know, new shiny digital tools come forward, They'll have a skill set and say, how am I going to use this? How will this apply to my students? Um, And does it make sense for me as a professional to get on this bandwagon? Yeah, absolutely. And like, I I just cannot agree more with you. I'm here. I'm sitting in my kitchen. I'm like shaking my head, right? I'm like nodding. I'm like, yes, what she's saying is so true because um, how can we expect future teachers to in, like integrate technology into their classrooms if they don't know what tools exist, A, or B, how to use them properly, like you were saying. Um, what I appreciate is that is when, uh, you know, my professor will introduce us or tell us that X, Y, and Z tools exist and will let us go and explore them at our own pace as well, because some of us can go and jump into a tool a lot faster than others. And I can have explored five tools where my friend beside me maybe has just explored one. Um, And so we get to kind of learn that at our own pace. And if one tool is more valuable to me in my context in teaching than another one of my colleagues, um, I think it's, it's kind of cool to just have that variety and be able to pick and choose the ones that you like for your specific specific professional needs and for your students depending on who you're teaching exactly so true and and ultimately that's what i'm trying to model for the the teacher candidates in the classroom so for example last night's class um we had some some really good discussion first around digital citizenship and i use a couple of core resources to kind of focus the conversation into digital citizenship within within the for the students in their classrooms but also for them as professionals and which ones are the real critical ones to have or be aware of and then 
from there we went into what we call tech time and and really it's it's like an open play space that i can then support those who are maybe a little reluctant to try something new or um, they're, they're, they mm-hmm. get stuck when they start. We were playing with GarageBand last night, for example, and uh, a number, a number yeah. of students uh, sent, sent me um, sound files for, um, for the, uh, the GarageBand project that they were working on. And then others had the choice because I gave them a choice of, so ultimately it was applying digital citizenship skills as a professional Others decided to to do a contribution to the one word aunt um, um, project. Another very another good very project. good project. Yeah. So, you know, ultimately, the professional um, digital personas get extended a little bit. Their digital citizenship skills get honed a little bit as they're as they're doing these types of, of, I don't want to call them activities, but these types of um, learning events. So I'm thinking about this because one of the things with all of these tech tools, we think Padlet, Flipgrid, Twitter, like there's so many, they do so many different things and we keep getting new ones. So as you teach this class, do you have to year in and year out, go in and modify with all the different tools that are coming into education. Um, because you as a professional teaching teacher candidates, you have to go and use them yourself first and kind of dissect them and find their pedagogical kind of like the way that you could integrate them in a classroom. Like, how do you manage all of these things? Uh, I, and absolutely, that is is probably one of the challenges for a lot of yeah. faculty members to do. Um, and I tend to do, I tend to say, let's start with one or two. Um, and the faculty that I work with, um, they'll start with one or two. So, for example, I show, I show faculty how to use Answer Garden. Oh, can I use that in my class? Absolutely. Here's how you use it. Here's how you could integrate it into an activity in your classroom. Um, and then, I'll, you know, the next time I'll uh, say, oh, I would use Padlet in my room today. So, oh, what's that? Let's try it together. And it, we will have spend a little time playing. Google Hangouts was a... <laughs> was a new one for for some of the faculty that had hadn't heard about that one before and I thought okay let's just ha- let's do one so we did <laughs> so we had a had That's a hangout so together so some of them were upstairs in one room and we were downstairs in the other room so so it's pl- it's giving people permission to play with it and and ultimately that's what I do when when I designed the course, um, we didn't do podcasting last year. And it was as a result of my direct mm. message Twitter to you um, that we're going to take on a little bit of podcasting, offering it as a choice. Yes, absolutely. And so why podcasting? What what got you to decide that podcasting, that there was value in podcasting, that you wanted to offer this choice to your students? Uh, the real bonus for the students is uh, it frees up the face. The, the I have to be recorded with my face in on the camera. And just knowing that they can share their voice without having to share their their physical selves, 
I think is the exciting part. And that's, the, I think, the reason why um, teachers can use podcasting more easily, more readily with students than, say, video or, um, you know, Google Hangouts or uh, Mystery Skype, for example. There are different um, barriers, permissions, privacy issues, um, you know, some of those citizenship skills that mm-hmm. that um, podcasting can can free free you up from. Yeah. So that's why I'd like to I'd like to try it, and uh, I'm looking forward to um, having a few of the students join you on a podcast, hopefully, um, and potentially or possibly even with Caroline, uh, the uh, T C squared podcast that she does. Yeah, yeah I've offered it to a couple of <laughs> yeah. people. One of them isn't e- even in any of my classes, and he dropped in, and <laughs> I said, "Oh, you can do one of these too." <laughs> I love it. Well, a little shout out. Well, shout out to Madison Prinzel. Yes, Maddie. She sent me, I believe that, yeah. So so she's a student in your class and she has reached out to me. So um, I look forward to podcasting with her very shortly. Excellent. And the other other piece that (laughs) you may not know about the class that I teach is that there is a component of... um, um, how do I describe it? They go out into the community and do do work with community agencies around media and digital literacies for agencies. And one of the agencies that I have um, students working with is a Kids Guide to Canada and um, um, Digital oh. Human Library. With uh, I, nice. I have a couple with of students Lee. working with um, Cube. Um, uh, collecting and collating and curating teacher resources with um, Susan Quetchen. Um, yeah, and if you just search for Cube for teachers, uh, I have a couple okay. of students working with them. And then some of them working with local organizations, um, you know, the, the local reading council, where they're, they, t- they teach... Um, People who've n- never touched a computer in their lives come in and learn basic computer skills. So one of the students was just, just she was just tickled because she had had a 60-year-old gentleman come and work with her. He had never seen a computer in his life, so she was doing just the very basics of, of how, to, how to use a computer. And um, those are the things we forget as teacher candidates sometimes, mm-hmm. um, as faculty members, that there are skills and fluencies we, we take for granted that, that agencies mm-hmm. um, in our communities uh, could benefit from. Wow. I feel like my heart would be so full every day that I got to work with people from the community that have never touched technology before. I feel like that would be so rewarding. (laughs) I want to sign up. Um, A question that I want to ask you is those those fluencies that we sometimes forget – you know, say people in our community don't have that we take for granted, but that we – assume that our students have because they have, you know, let's say grown up in this time, they've never known life without an iPhone and or Wi-Fi or things like that. They don't know what floppy disks are. So we just assume that they know how to run this and do this and how to be a a good digital citizen. And I just want to know your comments on that because it's something that I've been 
reflecting on recently and something that we talked about in my um, class this week, it's that assumption that, well, these students, this in 21st century education are are digital citizens naturally because they've grown up this way. But that's not always the fact. That's so true. And just in the brief conversation we had before we started the podcast, you had asked about the the differences that I've seen in the students in the classes that I've taught over this the six years that I've been doing this. And and to say that the most significant um, change that I see um, is is that digital fluency uh, and an awareness of safety and privacy issues that I hadn't necessarily seen in you know six years ago, and a willingness in the majority the number of students who are willing to try things that. You know, I take for granted. I've, I've blogged for years. Um, I've been involved in, um, you know, Google Hangouts for quite some time. Their, their willingness to try those types of things so that they can experience them and then see how they fit into their teaching practice. For example, mm-hmm. the one student I talked to last night, we were talking about Twitter because we, we were introduced to Twitter last fall. And as one of the courses, they had to set up a Twitter account. The course I teach is not a requirement for them, but I encourage them to get in and play in it if they they are interested. She said she's not using her Twitter account anymore, and here's why. So she had thought critically about the use of that digital tool and how it would fit for her practice. And I think those are the decisions I see students, teacher candidates, making more and more now than they did six years ago. A willingness to explore, engage, um, create, a willingness to um, create in different digital spaces, uh, participate with different communities, digital communities than they have um, six years ago. It wasn't as prevalent as it is today. for example, TV, the TVO um, uh, teacher community that that you can sign up for, um, the you know the on ed chat um, conversations that they lurk on, those types of things that I see teacher candidates doing more now than they did six years ago. So, do you think that they're doing this more now? Because do you think it is a necessity? for a future teacher to be more, have more digital fluency, be more open to blogging, be more open to all of these digital communities, all these different digital spaces? Well, I see it as an, as an essential skill. The, I don't, I don't, I I don't, I don't think we're doing any justice to the students in the classroom if we don't bring that, that digital A game into our teaching practice. Mm-hmm. I think making criti- critical so, decisions about it and saying, I'm not mm-hmm. going to use Twitter and here's why, but not closing the door to everything. So making sure that you are offering some mechanism for students to have a choice and a voice and to build their 
I don't know, I said their their body of work, their their what what gets them up in the morning. Students want to be excited about going to school. And when you talk about, I, I know you talked to Rola in Ottawa about, you know, design projects in her classroom. That's the kind of stuff that gets students in the door and gets them excited about learning. And this is what we want to see in the faculties of education, where the students are engaged in tough problems in teaching, in how do I integrate, for example, students in the media and digital literacy course are just embarking on a digital storytelling project. It's going to take us about five weeks to get the story done because I walk the, them through the process. We do the ideation, we do the, you know, we do some creative writing stuff in class, we do the story maps in Mindomo, we do um, the storyboards either in Google Slides or in Storyboard That or, or whatever other tool they, they find that they like to use. They produce the, the digital story based on whatever images they find in free open access images, sounds. They have to find the right, right sounds to fit the story. So they're, they're immersed in this these, these not gnarly problems, but they have a, a project, they have a, a product, um, an artifact that they'll leave with and it's it's going through the process. So that's design thinking projects are like that. Inquiry-based projects are like that. Um, genius hours are like that. So those, you know, mm-hmm. co- code, code weeks are like that. Those are the types of things that students, teachers in, in faculty should also be involved in. So they they have a chance to play in safe safe spaces and places, try some stuff out before they go out into the, the classrooms and and then try and teach it t- with the students they've got. And and yes. to be yes. they yes. And like I said, I'm passionate about this. I have been since the very get-go. I've I you know, I've mm-hmm. uh, were you an early adopter of all of this? I would say I wasn't the first on the bandwagon. I I wasn't necessarily, I would watch and see, uh, I would would see who else was trying it and how they were trying it. And then I would step in and say, I can do that, but it needs to fit this way for me because this is the way Mm -hmm. I teach. So yes, mm-hmm. and it still is very much modeling, um, finding people who are trying it. The, the bonus for me now is that I am networked, globally networked with people who are trying new things um, in the open, in higher ed and K-12 spaces, and I can learn from them, I can learn with them, uh, I can send them a direct message in Twitter and say, how did you do this? Yeah. For example, using Slack as a conversation space for online learning. Okay, so for those who are listening and myself, what is Slack? Slack is is ultimately came out of the business field as a as a management tool for ongoing email chains and for sharing documents and and reports. 
So the Slack mm. space that I, I have for the students to play in is a place where they can share links, they can sh share um, direct messages, they can have video chats with others in the class, um, they can have whole group conversations about a topic, or they can have, I, I've structured it with small groups of three or four in a group, so they can have smaller group conversations. And I'm using this as a way to allow them to provide feedback to each other on their inquiry projects as they, as they dip into inquiry um, in digital teaching and learning, um, critical digital literacies. So okay. I wouldn't have tried that if I hadn't talked to a couple of other higher ed educators in the States who are also trying to use Slack in open online courses, um, kind of stepping students outside of learning management system spaces um, for, for a variety of reasons. So, yeah, that it's nice. Very, it's very nice. Something that I will look into for sure. It, it's a great space for like a cohort of teacher candidates um, to shift away maybe from Facebook and have a, a space they can call their own. Um, it just takes somebody to set it up. And once it's set up, it's good to go. You so my, my question is, though, like, here's my pushback. There's so many tools that do more or less the same thing. Like I could make a Google Plus community. I could have Slack. We could have a Facebook message. We could, you know, there are so many things. We could have a Padlet where we shared a whole bunch of, you know, links and resources. Um, or we could, you know, say we uh, are, we use Brightspace, which is a D2L program. Right. We could have group chats there. Like at a, at a certain point, we almost feel bombarded with the choice of tool, especially if you don't know what each tool is particularly used for or is better at doing this, depending on your circumstances or group size or whatever it may be. I just feel sometimes, especially as a teacher candidate, when I'm looking at doing something with my classroom, um, you know, do I use this or that or this or, you know, like when you compare things and tools, that's where that really informed choice and going through all those different criterias kind of help you make that choice. I was kind of all over the map on that one. But all I'm trying yeah, to say is that no. there are lots of tools that do the same thing. And sometimes you just feel overwhelmed. Yes. Yes, you do. And, and that's part, it's also part of what you feel when you go into a teaching position. And here's the, the latest and greatest new app that, that the teacher next door to you wants to use. And here's the, the next latest and greatest app that the parents are saying that you should be using with this particular student because they really need it. Mm -hmm. They can't learn without it. So... Ultimately, if you don't know what those apps can do or, or what the area and the issues and the barriers are for that particular technology in the classroom, you can't make a critical decision about how and when and where to use it. Correct. So mm -hmm. this, for me, 
yes, it may seem like, okay, we've got so many places that, that the students can place, play in. And yes, there are lots of things. If you don't know what's out there, how do you know which one to pick that's exactly. going to work for you? Yeah, you're totally right. So for the media and digital literacy course, for example, having, I have the advantage, I have the same group of students from September to early November, and then they come back and they're with me again for another nine weeks. So I've got enough time to give them exposure to a variety of tools and a variety of digital technologies and, and look not necessarily look at, but at least see what the, what it does. And to see, like, for example, GarageBand. Um, some of the students who tried GarageBand last night loved it. Others, not so much. Yeah. So will they use, yeah, so will different they... Different needs, different, yeah. Right, right. So when it comes to doing their digital story, they may dip back into GarageBand because they've already tried it a little bit. And they might persevere through some of the challenges of breaking that code of how to use GarageBand and how to merge tracks in GarageBand or how to put an iMovie together because mm -hmm. they've played, you've played with it, you've, you've tried it and you've got somebody to play, play with you while you're doing it. Yeah. And, and, and that's where you know, networking, trial and error, and I said, I w my wish for every teacher is to have time to just go into the digital sandbox and play with some stuff, get to know it, make it make sense, and then see if it fits. Because somewhere down the line, there's going to be a student in your classroom who may benefit from that digital tool. And you'll mm -hmm. say... Oh, I've got just the right thing for you. I want you to try pod podcasting your responses to the, the reading that you're doing as opposed to mm -hmm. writing them. And there's so much work and time and effort that needs to be done for teacher candidates to get to that point. And I, yes. I, I know as somebody who has been through this process and, you know, it's been probably a year or, or more that I've been really diving in deep to all the tools and even just on my spare time going in and, and trying, like I have tried Audacity, I've tried GarageBand and, you know, I've been able to make that decision. But they're, like we were saying, with this, all these different amounts of tools, it's hard to a, know that they exist, B, know what they do, C, make that critical choice, and then D, be able to choose that tool for that one student or for this, you know, group of students. So yeah, it's definitely um, a very long process, but I think that you're giving your students such an amazing, such amazing opportunities to go. And I love that you call it the digital sandbox. And that's something that I'm going to, like I, like I say, put in my back pocket, something that I look forward to using um, in the future when explaining this, this wonderful world of education and technology. And one thing that I want to, I know that we're, we've already passed, we're almost at our 40 minute mark, but I don't want to uh, end this podcast without quickly speaking about um so I, I was listening to your podcast with Terry Green um, about um, 
how he mentioned that you were an open educator and you just recently said that you're globally networked. And I want to know what exactly that entails being an open educator, being globally networked and connected, because you also recently tagged me and, and some other teacher candidates in ITSE's infographic about being a connected educator. And I think that all of these things go really nicely together. And I totally believe that I'd like to kind of talk about what that means to you as an educator, being a connected educator, being an open educator, what it means to your students. And um, I noted down the, what was it, six steps on the infographics or the six criterias um, that ITSE had. So for those who haven't seen it or to kind of refresh our memories, the uh, ITSE graphics said that to be a connected educator, one, you have to be, to have dedicated time for networking, Two, you should be participating in ed chats. Three, you should join a network and have a PLN. Four, you should be attending conferences and ed camps. Five, you should be sharing your ideas. And six, you should ask a connected educator for help. So I will be putting that link in the show notes on SoundCloud once this podcast is published. But to kind of wrap up this podcast, let's talk about that. Where do you want to go with that, Helen? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I know. It's like the gates are wide open. You can take whatever avenue you want. So I'm going to connect it back to the the teaching that I do at the faculty. And I think one one of the gifts that um, I think faculties can give to teacher candidates is an opportunity to connect to people that are in the, the field, that are doing the hard work of teaching that are modeling the 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 ways to work in this this global digital age that we're in and and to have them leave the faculty as as you know with with a mentor in the field somebody they know that they can you know direct message to in twitter if they get stuck on something yeah. <laughs> they so it becomes almost like their life their digital lifeline um and it's to break down the barriers that i know teacher candidates always have that they you know they feel like they they're the the low person the the non-entity in the profession and i i want them to leave with somebody that will help them feel like they belong that they are are welcome that they they are have a place and a space to to talk to others um and that's why the on ed mentor program is in ontario is such a a nice um a nice shift to say voice in canada is the perfect place to do all of that because i can speak from experience i have you know you're you're saying you want your your students your one teacher candidate to find one mentor that they can go to what I believe and what is so amazing about what Voicehead has given to me is the multitude of mentors and support, like supportive educators that I now have in my PLN that all have different backgrounds, different expertise, different experience. So when I know that so-and-so is really good in this, say, ROLA in design thinking, inquiry, inquiry 
based thinking and projects, I can go, I know, boom, Rola, and she's always there to help me. And that goes with many of the mentors that I have. And those are all connections through through Twitter and Voicehead Radio. Right, right. Um, there's there's some infographics around being a connected educator, and I I've just pulled one up. It's called the, it's around peer culture. So you teacher candidates need to feel part of the peer culture within the profession of teaching. They need to be able to openly network with those peers in the profession. Um, for example, we have Peter Cameron. Um, I connected through Twitter. Peter Cameron has has done hangouts in in my classroom with my students so they can go to Peter Cameron he's he's got all kinds of information available and is readily willing to share with with anyone who sends sends him a tweet um, so openly networked yeah. based on academic based on teaching based on you know what they want the best thing for the students to be so it's that shared purpose so you have shared purpose in student engagement or shared purpose in um, self-regulation. You have shared purpose in um, well-being and, and mental health. You have, so it's common interests. So you find the teachers who have common interests to you. There may be some common in interests with podcasting, for example. Mm-hmm. And then they're production-centered. So they're centered around the products of, of teaching, the lesson plans, the unit plans, the report card writing, the conversations with parents. So it's, it's focused. So that's what being a connected educator means. So we, sh- we should wish that for all of our teacher candidates and, and all the people in the profession. It, as... As I said to the students, you, you, the days when you can go in your classroom and close the door are gone. They, you have to be able to break through the walls and open the windows. Your students deserve it. They need to yeah. know. They need to be connected to their, their local communities. They need to be connected to local members in the community. They need to be having conversations with people in their home communities, with their the wider world um, across global contexts, and and the digital technologies allow teachers to do that with their students, for their students, um, and sometimes just stand back and let the students do it and support them as they do it. Amen. Like a and- round of applause for Helen. <laughs> oh wow! You know what? That was, that was, it was so perfect. We're just going to end it there because I think that that wraps up this, this conversation so well. And before you go, uh, how can everyone who's listening that thinks that you are so lovely and so, (laughs) so competent and you speak so well, I just, I'm like in a trance listening to you here. Like I said, I'm just nodding up and down, like agreeing with everything that you're saying. So if somebody wants to connect with you, how can they do that? So I am in a number of digital spaces. <laughs> Let <laughs> us I'll know. Give, Name I'll give them you off. The, the two main ones, uh, Twitter, HJ underscore DeWard with a double A. Um, and uh, I blog, professional blog is at Five Flames for Learning. 
and you can link to all of that through my domain, hjdeward.com. All right. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if you had um, some messages coming your way after the really insightful conversation that we just had tonight. So thank you so much, Helen, for accepting to be on the podcast tonight. And thank you so much for giving me a chance to model for my students that it's not a scary thing to do. (laughs) Absolutely not. We made it. We did it. Yeah. We talked about fear factor in the classroom and what are their fears? I, th- I told them one of mine was public speaking. So this, this ah. is, 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 I'm no longer Well, this afraid. isn't public because, exactly, it's not public because you're in the comforts of your own home. So <laughs> there you go. Thank you so much, Sarah. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Que Sera Sera with me, Sarah Ann Lalone. You can stay connected with me on Twitter at Sarah. S-A-R-A-H, Lalonde, L-A-L-O-N-D-E-E. And you can also find my podcast on iTunes under Que Sera Sera.